blame my generation for everything and those pills belong to the doctor. Well, he must have picked them up on his travels then because I'd never seen aspirin before. Oh, so you studied medicine at school, did you? Yes, of course I did. Didn't you teach it? No. We worked upwards from the three R's. Hmm? Reading, writing, arithmetic. Oh, it was a nursery school. It was not. Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're going through this 50-year-old show from the beginning to determine what's still worth watching for a modern audience. I'm your host, and if all our podcast audience believes in me, I think I can fly. My co-host is Guy, who once again left the boat spray at home. Hello, Guy. Hello. So, you know, I have carefully not ever, I think, said anything to you about this story <laughs> because yeah. I, I wanted your virgin reaction without being... Now, I will be honest, when we did Dalek Invasion of Earth, I was doing everything I could to uh, sway your opinion. <laughs> in, in this case, I wanted to get your raw opinion so we could know what it what it's like for a person who's new to who. This is a, you know, controversial <laughs> story. There are people, and I have kind of been one of them, and, and may, you know, we'll explore today whether I feel I was right or not, who feel is basically unwatchable, and <laughs> if anything, like nails on a, on a chalkboard. And there are people who feel that people have overreacted and that actually there's a, a good story in here. So we shall, shall see. It's definitely, they try some very different things for <laughs> Dr. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess we will just jump into it then and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm sure as we go through it, some of my uh, thoughts about it will will come out. <laughs> <laughs> that's good because we're doing a podcast, so <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be. Okay, on to our first episode entitled appropriately enough "The Web Planet," and this is long before the web. <laughs> And we're in the TARDIS, and Ian and Doctor are in their Roman garb from the last story. And the Doctor is perplexed. Something is dragging down the TARDIS. I guess this is before Tractor Beam had kind of been established. Actually, I think Star Wars maybe yeah. established Tractor Beam. So. Yeah, that was probably the first place I heard of it. Yeah, and Ian says, dragged down to what? <laughs> and conveniently, we get a shot of a planet surface, and the sky above was three moons. And we zoom into one of the moons. And get the title, The Web Planet. And then, and so for a moment, I thought that moon was supposed to be the web planet. But then mm. the camera descends back down to the planet. And in the process, it goes through some bits of webbing. And actually, I got to give it to them. There's a lot of fancy camera swooping around in this intro. It's uh, much, <laughs> uh, much fancier than the, than the typical intros we get. <laughs> and uh, then the TARDIS appears, or, you know, a little model TARDIS appears. <laughs> a little model of a planet. And the monitor looks out on the planet, and it's a sparse, desert-like landscape filled with rocks. And it's actually, I would say, striking. And it, I wonder, maybe they're doing it on purpose. Actually, let's see, when did the moon landing occur? Because this actually feels like footage from the moon 69. landing. 69. So that had not happened yet. So kind of maybe coincidentally, they, they sort of achieved a moon landing-like look, I think, which is all the more impressive if they hadn't actually seen it happen Although, yet. <laughs> Although there were probably earlier unmanned landings. I, I don't know all the history about it. 
Right. They probably had a good idea what the moon looked like by then anyway. <laughs> so Vicky comes in and asks where they are. And I don't know if you noticed this, but either some timing was off or someone missed a line because the doctor just stands there humming and hawing for like 10 seconds. And then Ian finally says, uh, oh, could there be something wrong with the TARDIS? And I didn't know if he was hmm. filling in a line for the doctor or if he just missed it. I don't know. Yeah, I... I don't think I did notice that, although at the beginning of the episode, the doctor is so perplexed that, you know, it, it seems plausible to me he could just be lost in thought and trying <laughs> to figure out what's going on, because that's how, that's how I am if I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I, I kind of tune out everything else. Anyway, not a big deal. I'm making a big deal yeah. out of nothing, but, but that's what we do in Doctor Who fans. Oh, sure. <laughs> So outside, we see, the, the crew doesn't see this, but we see a giant ant appear nearby, <laughs> and then another, and they're making what, the only way I could describe it is video game shooting sounds. <laughs> and we hear this sound a lot through the episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, very electronic and not. Yeah, it's not what you would expect an organic creature to do, really. <laughs> right. And, you know, how to describe these ants. I mean, they're essentially humans standing up inside a large ant costume. And I think what throws me off about these costumes is the legs, even though their legs are encased in a costume, it's these bizarrely human-looking legs on these ants, which I just find Yeah, really yeah. I mean, they, they had to do something to accommodate human actors, but... You end up with this thing. It looks like, you know, imagine if you had a, a giant model of an ant and then you just like took two legs off a He-Man action figure or something <laughs> and stuck them about halfway down the abdomen, you know, and right. they're a little, little out of place because you've got these six other spindly ant legs sticking on or maybe four other legs. Right, right. It's a little, uh, a little bit jarring. <laughs> One of the things you can tell, and, and this will be proved later, is that the actors cannot see shit. <laughs> <laughs> so inside the TARDIS, Vicky is hearing a loud humming, and the others can't hear it, and she's like holding her head and falling over, and then the humming stops after a bit. We're outside again, and one of the giant ants and a giant centipede thingy is waddling yeah. along. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, this thing, it, it reminds me of a pill bug, kind of. Yeah. But around the outside of it, it, it doesn't, they don't really even try, try to give it convincing legs. It just has these dangling, I don't know, tentacle-like things, you know, but, but like a fringe all around the base of it. And, and obviously that's there to cover up the human who's presumably crawling behind all that fringe. The, it's neat looking, except for that fringe. The fringe is kind of, yeah, kind of obvious. <laughs> the other thing we notice at this point is it's clear that for outside shots, they're smearing the camera lens with Vaseline <laughs> to give a yeah. streaking effect to the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really really pronounced uh, to the point of being distracting. Um, and maybe, maybe they were doing that for, uh, you know, deliberately overemphasizing it for the 1960s televisions, you know, but it really just, uh, wasn't a great effect for me. <laughs> Later we'll see that when they come out, their voices really echoing around. And I think they were working really hard to give this environment right between the, 
the visuals with the smeared Vaseline and the echoes, they were really trying to communicate mm-hmm. something more than just these people are sitting on a set. So I think that's part of the controversy about this story, which is whether you like it or not, it was very ambitious and they were trying a lot of things <laughs> and uh-huh. some of them worked better than others. <laughs> yeah. And the echoes, it sounded to me as though they weren't actual, they, they were like other people trying to imitate the doctor's <laughs> voice and Ian's voice. Uh, uh, I, my take, uh, I mean, I didn't hear it that way. I think they were processing their audio though, like live. Right. So they were like, um, running it through some kind of thing that was, that was repeating them, but. It could be. I, I, I didn't think all the intonation was exactly the same, but I, I might've just been well, mistaken. That might quite, it, it's quite possible that they recorded the echo separately mm, and that's that why it would sound also, different. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And now we see the TARDIS fading in and out and apparently it's trying to dematerialize. And then we see again, and I have no idea what it would have looked at the time, but it's a little cheesy, but it's effective. We see this fake web superimposed over the TARDIS. So there's this web that's kind of encasing it and inside the crew are tossed around and the monitor camera seems to be moving around randomly. But I guess in reality, what they're trying to say is that the TARDIS itself is moving around and the camera is probably stationary. The crew argues about whether Barbara saw something out there on the monitor. Vicky collapses. And the doctor announces that they will surprise have to explore the area. <laughs> so <laughs> pretty much the start of every Doctor Who episode. <laughs> and Ian and the doctor decide they should go out alone so that the women will be safe. You know, uh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, obviously a plot thing. I mean, we've kind of gotten past that previously, <laughs> but mm. uh, kind of going back to early Doctor Who. Yeah. And the doctor comes in wearing a weird white outfit and tells Ian he needs to wear this ADJ, <laughs> which in is an atmospheric density jacket, of course, due to the thin atmosphere. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's basically just an ordinary jacket with a couple metal doodads attached to the lapels. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess, you know, they didn't want to put helmets on them and stuff. Normally you would put people in a spacesuit or something. So sure. they just have these little tin cups on the front that are supposed to be uh, spewing out oxygen to their nose. So <laughs> it seems very inefficient because of course it would be spewing out oxygen <laughs> to everything. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, they can't, and I did not get this part at all. Maybe there's some part later where it comes into the story. I don't remember, but they can't open the doors because of the power failure where the doctor has some weird workaround where he has his ring and he says, this ring is not just decoration, you know, and he passes <laughs> it in front of this lamp with some kind of, um, lens on it. And the doors then open and he cackles excitedly and gleefully at how clever he is. They go out and I'm just like, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Just think if he'd never gotten his ring back from the tailor in (laughs) revolutionary Paris, then uh, they'd be stuck in the TARDIS. Right. So after Ian and the doctor leave, Barbara and Vicky have a long conversation and there's several long conversations, which. I mean, it's nice. It gives the actress time to do things, but I definitely feel like there was, um, you know, a desire maybe to stretch out some of these episodes. It is a six episode story and mm-hmm. no matter what you think, I'm not sure it needs to be a six episode story. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that is one impression I've gotten from the first three episodes. There is the customary doctor who filler, uh, in yeah. abundance here. But I will say having the actors have a long conversation is better than having them running back and forth in corridors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So the funny thing about this is we learned some things about Vicky's past. So Barbara is trying to give her aspirin. When Vicky is horrified, she considers pills like this and aspirin, which she's never heard of before, to be as primitive as Barbara would be, would think of using leeches. Mm -hmm. It turns out Vicky has been taught medicine and many other disciplines. And Barbara asked her when she learned all this. It turns out it was 810 <laughs> with the use of machines. And she insults Barbara because when Barbara says that she taught reading, writing, and arithmetic, Vicky assumes that she was teaching nursery school. <laughs> <laughs> so we learn, you know, that's a Barbara's offended. But, you know, we learn a little bit about Vicky. Outside, the doctor is examining the rocks in detail and is fascinated to find mica which he and Ian talk about the fact that it's capable of withstanding great heat. And their voices are echoing, as we mentioned earlier. And it, it, I'm going to say, thinking about it a bit here, I, I think my theory is right. I think they recorded the dialogue originally earlier and then replayed it to, as the echoes. Mm, could be. And that's probably why it sounds a little, the intonation sound a little different. Yeah. Ian pulls out a gold pen to give the doctor and... It suddenly vanishes, which we see is it's pulled out of his hand by a string, but it's supposed mm. to have vanished. And the doctor is very amused because he assumes Ian is doing sleight of hand. Yeah. And, uh, and Ian takes pains to mention that he lost his gold pen and <laughs> yeah. that's, that actually turns out to be relevant. The fact that it yeah. was gold. He not only mentions it, but he yells it because he sort of yells. It's like, so you're not going to uh, forget that he has a gold pen. Yes. He feels they're being watched. And we have another long and kind of repetitive conversation here about why they're here and why someone would take Ian's gold pen. <laughs> and, uh, and, and during all of this, the doctor is just full of his hoo hoo and he he. And he's just giggling <laughs> like crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He does a lot of that in the first episode. <laughs> Oh, terribly amusing. <laughs> yeah. The TARDIS, Barbara is watching him on the monitor. And then she has this bracelet on her arm that she got from Nero. And it's mm. that the arm with the bracelet starts pulling her in a direction. So could it be a gold bracelet? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the doctor and Ian come across an ancient artificial structure, a giant pyramid with something at the top, which reminded me of one of the lecture like, nation episodes, you know, from, um, yeah, like, uh, uh Keys Keys Maris. Maris, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and the doctor, <laughs> and this makes no sense at all. Right. The doctor's like, well, this can't have anything to do with the TARDIS being held here. <laughs> like, you ran across the yeah. one, you know, sort of man-made, so to speak thing. And it's like, no, nope, this can't be it. Just <laughs> a red herring. <laughs> yeah. Then Ian finds some water. And this takes me also back to the Keys of Marinus because this yes. is a re repeat. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this made me seriously doubt. Ian's judgment. Because uh, yeah, he finds some water on an alien planet and is like, oh, I'm going to drink some. <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least when it was Susan doing a Keys of Meredith, you know, it's, it, it sort of fits in at least with her unfortunate character. <laughs> but he runs to drink it and the doctor stops him. <laughs> and now this is kind of interesting because he wants Ian's tie and Ian says, well, I'm not wearing a tie. And he said, I mean the one around your waist. So now I didn't look this up. I don't know how common this, maybe this was more common, like in the sixties or something, because Ian is wearing his, his school tie as a belt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's just not something I'm familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something I'm, I've heard much of 
or any of people doing it. Yeah. And so he he complains that his trousers might drop if he takes it off. And the doctor says, well, that's not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) So Ian gives him the tide and the doctor drops it in the water and it smokes and disintegrates, you know, a portion of it. And Ian's not happy because that's the tie of the school that he and Barbara were taught at. Yeah. But at least he was saved from uh, drinking acid. (laughs) (laughs) And we see a giant ant hiding behind a rock and it does something. And there's a splash in the water and Ian sees the splash and tells the doctor that something is in the water. And then we hear the video game shooting sound again. <laughs> and in the TARDIS, Barbara is being driven crazy by it, you know, clutching her ears, uh, falling all over. And then the TARDIS doors open on their own. When the equipment inside the TARDIS starts falling over, the console starts spinning around. Barbara's arm is pulling her. <laughs> and there's a whole lot going on here. You know, the sound is getting more and more intense. Mm-hmm. And she finally gives into her arm and walks out the doors, which close behind her. And Vicky realizes Barbara is missing and yells for her. And the doctor and Ian hear her and run toward the ship. But Ian gets trapped in some kind of dense webbing. The webbing, in this case, it, it turns out to actually be a weed. Uh, we'll yeah. find that out in the next episode. Yeah, and Barbara's being pulled along outside, and she's walking right toward that acid pool. And Vicky is trapped in the TARDIS, and she's being thrown around, and... In the process of being thrown around, she just starts smacking controls on the console randomly. And I couldn't, qu- I thought at this point, it, it, in the next episode, I think it turns out differently, but I thought that she caused the TARDIS to dematerialize mm-hmm. because next we get a shot of the doctor standing where the TARDIS was supposed to be and he's realizing it's gone. And this is actually quite dramatic. The camera zooms up to his face and he's saying, And it's the end of the episode. Yeah. And next up is the Zarbi. (laughs) So the Zarbi starts off with a Vaseline cam shot (laughs) and, uh, the doctor saying my TARDIS. Then we switched to Barbara. Now in the last episode, she was right on the precipice of the acid pool when we left her. And here we see that. She's going toward the acid pool, but there's a there's a nearby Zarbi, which is to say an Ant-Man. He remotely steers her around it at the last moment. Uh, so That's she good. doesn't take a dive. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> Ian, meanwhile, is lying face down in the dirt. The doctor finds him and wakes him up, and Ian's face is sore from the weed that held him. He refers to it as a weed. And he says he feels like he's been caught in stinging nettles, which is, you know, not the way you want your face to feel. Yeah. And he doesn't know where it went, but he has some speculation. He says, just went into the air, the ground. So <laughs> it either went into the air or the ground. Yeah. Narrowed it down. Kind of covers much. it. <laughs> Ian says something about this cursed planet and seems to trigger an idea in the doctor's head. Uh, he says, I wonder, yes, cursed. So <laughs> I, I'm not clear, at least in the first three episodes, if that really ends up paying off in any way, but, uh, but it seems like the doctor is putting together a little theory here. Mm-hmm. So Ian's eager to get back to the TARDIS so he can wash his face and maybe put some ointment <laughs> on or something. And, uh, the doctor says, I have a shock for you. He reveals to him that they're not getting back to the TARDIS anytime soon. 
Barbara is still being led by her arm hanging out in midair, the arm that's wearing the bracelet. And now we see, oblivious to Barbara, there's an insect man behind her. But this isn't one of these ant men that we've seen. This this looks more... At first, I thought it was like a butterfly, because the wings kind of spread out a little, although that not as much as a butterfly's. But then you see that it's got these light and dark stripes, so it's more like a bee than, than an yeah, ant or a butterfly. And I think it's fair to say it's kind of a cross between the two, yeah. The body of a yeah. bee and sort of the wings of a butterfly, though. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But it pops up behind Barbara unnoticed, and it's waving its arms dramatically. It looks like it might be the force controlling her. But as we'll see later, uh, these guys just sort of do that a lot. <laughs> they wave their arms dramatically. <laughs> and we'll find out later that these uh, these are called the Monoptera. And uh, that term reminded me of, I had heard something like it in actual biology. So I looked it up, and the order of insects that includes both bees and ants is called Hymenoptera. Hymen, mm. Hymenoptera. So I think they, I think they just... He did a little convenient uh, <laughs> name alteration here. Meanwhile, the doctor uh, is starting to have chest pains. And it turns out the reason for that is that these ADJ coats only last about an hour, which right. probably would have been helpful to know when they first <laughs> yes. set out from the He TARDIS. didn't tell Ian that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it actually makes sense because when you're diving, you know, that that's about how long a typical oxygen tank is going to last you. If you're, yeah, if you're doing reasonably yeah. you can only store so much oxygen, sure. So the doctor and Ian take the coats off, and they feel somewhat better afterwards, uh, though the atmosphere is thin, so they're not, uh, they're not feeling at their best. The doctor points to tracks in the sand. It appears that the TARDIS was actually dragged off. Yeah, so it didn't dematerialize like I thought. It was, you know, but, but we had no indication at the, in the last episode that it was dragged off. It just disappeared. Right. <laughs> Yeah. As soon as he makes this observation, uh, we see a little model TARDIS scooting off <laughs> through a diorama of a barren landscape uh, and through some nice dry ice fog that's coating the ground. Uh, you know, I had to give them credit. This one, again, they're doing something different. We never had seen anything like that in yeah. Doctor Who. And, you know, they did the best they could with what they had. So. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, I, I don't want to uh, be too hard on it. You know, it's a, it's a perfectly suitable effect, you know, particularly for the show being what it is. You know? And the movement of the TARDIS uh, is throwing Vicky off balance inside. You know, every time it jolts, she gets a jolt. Yeah, we get to see her doing lots of that Star Trek, you know, throw yourself across. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And watching one of the monitors, Vicky sees, for her first time, I believe, uh, she sees one of the ant creatures. And uh, to her credit, she doesn't scream. She just stares at the monitor. Yeah, I've noticed even when she's doing very Susan-like things, and there'll be a couple of points later, and even if she screams, it's just a little bit. So I think mm -hmm. either the production or her, they'd probably decided, like, we're not going to repeat the, <laughs> the Susan mm -hmm. thing, you know? Yeah. So this bee man who's been pursuing Barbara leads her to two more of them. They've got like a little sort of enclosure. It's in a, it turns out later it's in a cave actually, but that's not immediately obvious from the set design. One of the bees strips Nero's bracelet from Barbara's wrist and throws it in a nearby acid pool. 
and she awakens, and the first thing she notices is the bracelet is gone. And uh, I'd be pretty upset about that <laughs> if I were in her shirt. I mean, yeah, that's from the Emperor Nero. Gr- granted, he was a jerk, but still, I mean, it's got some historical value there. You know, that's yeah. uh, <laughs> that. You know, we do find out that unfortunately, gold is problematic on this planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bees had their reason. Uh, yeah. But still, uh, you know, if I if I had just wakened out of a trance and somebody got rid of my Emperor Nero bracelet, I'd be a little peeved. So <laughs> as soon as she notices the bracelet's gone, she notices the bee people. And one of the bee people, who turns out to the bee, be the leader, says, stay where you are. And I was rather surprised here because I was expecting some, uh, you know, synthesized, all tarted up kind of insect voice but no it's just a very pleasant female voice yeah and i want to talk about these bee costumes you know i in one way they're they don't work and they're kind of silly but actually a lot of work was put into them and they're they're kind of beautiful they're marred a bit by these antenna that are a little bit silly Mm. but like there's really complex makeup on their faces to fit into the costume you know, to kind of blend in with the costume and, mm. and they have, you know, these pretty wings. Unfortunately, the wings aren't good for these people moving around. And, you know, I think they hired like dancers to do these roles. So they were, again, you know, they were trying to have people who can move in a certain way and everything, but unfortunately they just have them stand still and sort of move their arms in bizarre little movements. And, and <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, it really weird. does. Look like the, uh, you know, you see the stereotypes uh, in movies of, you know, somebody doing interpretive dance. <laughs> it's like what these bees are doing all the time. Yeah. And the costumes, it struck me, you know, like the ant costumes are basically ants with two human legs sticking out. The bee costume, the masks and wings notwithstanding, I think the bee costume really looks to me like a, a fursuit, if you've ever mm-hmm. uh, seen those on the internet, you know, where people dress up as uh, animals, but they're human-shaped animals. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> yeah, I think the term is furries, but we may not want to yeah. go there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's basically, it, it's it's basically a big furry jumpsuit with uh, yellow and black stripes on it. <laughs> so meanwhile, while uh, Barbara's meeting the bee people, Ian and the doctor have lost the tracks of the TARDIS. While they're looking for the, find out where the tracks resume, the doctor finds new marks in the sand. They're not the tracks of the TARDIS. They look more like claw marks. And Ian has gone off over a little to the side to look for where the TARDIS tracks have gone. And he steps in what looks to me like a giant marshmallow peep. (laughs) It actually, when you get a better look at it, it looks like a casting that was left by a molting insect. And it's hollow. He just puts his foot right yeah. through it. This, is, to me, is another callback to Terry Nation because the Daleks, right, early on when they're exploring, they find these um, metal insects. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just feel, I feel like there's a lot of little elements in this story that call back to previous stories. Yeah, yeah, that... Uh... That that could be. I mean, uh, especially, I don't know anything about the writer. I think his name was Strutton, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, if he had seen some earlier episodes, either just by watching it or maybe even trying to catch up on it, 
you know, if he could get them from the reference archives or whatever. <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, maybe he was just trying to stay in the spirit of the show. Who knows? <laughs> he did that uh, to some extent. <laughs> so the doctor, uh, even though this looks like an insect casting, the doctor is convinced it's from a vertebrate. You know, it's something that has a spine. So that's an interesting little twist, although the, the costumes we've seen do... They're humanoid enough that they su they do suggest there could be some backbones involved. Mm -hmm. The doctor tells Ian that although he hasn't been to this planet, he may know something about it. He says the rock formations and this uh, this insect casting, they suggest the planet Vortis in the Aesop galaxy. The only problem is that Vortis doesn't have a moon, and there are several moons here. Mm -hmm. We see the TARDIS being dragged. Now, it's not actually, there's, there are no bodies dragging it. It's just being right. telekinetically dragged. Uh, it's dragged into an organic building. The walls of the building look veiny and sort of translucent, um, kind of like, like insect wings, but you know, larger panels. We just get a glimpse of that, and then we go back to Barbara, who is explaining her situation to the bee people that they were... <laughs> The TARDIS was forced down onto this planet, and uh, after she's said her piece, the first reply from the bees is, kill her, the stranger must not be trusted. It's, yeah, and the one guy just, you know, raises up this, like, crystal thing, and he's ready to go after her. <laughs> yeah, so a typical, typical Doctor Who episode. But cooler heads prevail. You know, the other, the other bees aren't so eager to kill her. And one of them says, the Zarbi will treat them as enemies. So... You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and all that. <laughs> and Barbara, now that she's gathered that these bee people don't get along with the Zarbi, she suggests that maybe she and the crew could help them with the Zarbi. So the bees take her off to the side. One of them stands watch over her while the others discuss what to do with her. And there's a crystal rod lying on the ground. And she uses it. It's it's not really the best choreographed action moment I've seen, but uh, <laughs> she uses the crystal rod to push aside the bee who is watching her, and she makes a break for it. And this being Doctor Who, she runs about thirty feet and then trips and falls. But part but, of what I thought was funny though is they, I think, part of their argument for killing her is that she would betray them, and then she immediately <laughs> betrays them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, she could. She could understand the conversation, so, and the conversation seemed to be turning in her favor. So I mean, right, uh, right. But you know, we've we've seen before. Barbara uh, has a very independent streak. Yeah, you know, and she, she she's a like take action person. Like, remember when she killed the pet in the rescue? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. She uh, runs thirty feet and trips and falls, but but the bees aren't pursuing her, so she's getting away clean this time. Uh, Dr. Who, or the, the doctor, uh, <laughs> and, and Ian, uh, they see a structure in the distance and they surmise that's where the TARDIS was taken. And as they're observing that, the ant men surround them and the pill bug joins in too. Those the pill doctor, bugs are nasty because they seem to be, to have a, a built-in weapon that they can shoot. Oh, that's the <laughs> yeah. proboscis, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see the shooting a little bit later. I think. Not in the, I think it's maybe the next episode, not this one. The doctor says to uh, to stand still. He tells Ian the 
probably won't be able to communicate with the ant-men unless they rub their back legs together <laughs> like grasshoppers. So that's pretty much out of the picture. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Vicky, inside the TARDIS, she looks relieved that it stopped moving. But then the doors swing open. She calls out for the doctor or Ian, but there's no answer. Uh, and she walks out the doors. And she's in that veiny-walled structure uh, that we saw the TARDIS sliding into. And Ant-Men surround her, and she uh, she does yell a little bit at this point, but it's not really uh, full-fledged screaming. Yeah. And the Ant-Men outside this structure are herding Ian and the Doctor towards it. The Doctor observes that the structure is alive and growing. It may have been around, it may have been growing for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. They get inside, and Ant-Man... Steps into the TARDIS briefly, its doors are open, but as soon as he gets in, the TARDIS seems to disorient him, and he, he backs yeah. out of it, and he's spinning like he's dizzy. I think it's got some kind of, like, defense shield or something that messes mm -hmm. him up, you know? Yeah. So the Doctor and Ian uh, have been herded into this structure, and they're re reunited with Vicky, and the Doctor sees immediately, uh, he says, My ship, the doors are open. So he's very displeased about that. Uh, we get to see Barbara again. She's she's squatting down by that acid pool, and she's just throwing rocks into it. Looks like she's having a meditative moment, just thinking about <laughs> stuff. And she stands up to walk on, but she's surrounded by Ant-Man. <laughs> we see the three bees in their cave. They're gathered around a big cluster of crystals. From their dialogue, we understand that these crystals can be used to communicate, but using them could give away information to the Zarbi. Uh, Vreston, who's the leader, says we must warn them of the power of the Animus, and another chimes in, and of the strength of the larvae gun. <laughs> so two, two big important things we'll have to watch out for. This communicator is radio-like crystal. It's kind of a neat design because it has, it has a central crystal. It, it looks like one coherent cluster of crystals, but it turns out it has a center and then two panels on the sides that can be rotated. It's kind of like a TIE fighter or something. Mm. So it's kind of a clever little design. It's just, uh, you know, just for show, but uh, it's still neat. So Rustin tries contacting their invasion force. But she gets no response. They may be keeping radio silence, but they talk about the possibilities. It may be that the invasion force is keeping radio silence, but it may be that the cave is interfering. So they're going to try moving the transmitter outside. But just as they're about to do this, the Zarbi show up, and they're leading Barbara, hypnotized Barbara. They're leading her along with them. Well, and, I mean, I think the deal is she's leading them because she knows where the bees are. Mm, um, so they're, they've yeah, hypnotized they, her and, and she's taking them to them. So she does in another, I mean, not intentionally, but again, she does betray them. And it, it's a bit like, if you ever watched, um, uh, saving private Ryan, when there's a point in there where they let a prisoner go and then mm, later, later that guy mm. ends up coming back and killing somebody. So Barbara, you know. Basically, it would have been a good idea to kill Barbara. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah good point. Yeah, I, I didn't quite realize that she was she was giving away the game, but yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. 
Anyway, a lame fight ensues. Uh, it's just, yeah, not the most thrilling. Well, with Doctor the Who problem fight. is, you have these people in these extremely restrictive costumes. <laughs> they can't do anything. <laughs> so pretty much, it's like there's a guy with the crystal thing, and he'll sort of smack an ant over the head, and then it falls over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not really one of the great moments in action scenes. <laughs> but one uh, B, one B uh, is killed, or at least goes down. Another of them tells Vrestin, the leader, to get away from there. And the bees have uh, have lost the fight, and Vrestin did get away. But the uh, the remaining bee, uh, the ant men are distracted enough at the moment that the remaining bee, with some especially strange, dancey, dreamy movements, he takes off the hypnosis collar that that the Ant-Man put on Barbara. And he explains to her when she comes to, he says, you were morphetized. And, <laughs> and, and that made me think of, uh, they, they, in the movie Team America, uh, they, whenever they do like a, make a vehicle transform, they, they use, uh, they say it's time to valmorphanize. Gary, I'm afraid there's no time. Intelligence tells us the attack is imminent. We need you to act like a Middle Eastern terrorist right away. There's just one problem. I don't look Middle Eastern. <laughs> Leave that to us. Sarah is a professional at skin graphing and laser valmorification. Just try to be still. <laughs> yeah, they clearly just made up that word just right. to, to sound again, like a cheesy. <laughs> I felt like it was a repeat from Dalek Invasion of Earth because remember there you could be robotized. <laughs> so <laughs> here you could be morphetized. So I guess every planet has their own way of turning you into a mindless uh, drone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In this case, uh, the morphetizing collar is made of gold. Uh, that's how the mm -hmm. Zarbi uh, control people's minds, is through gold. And that's also why they were able to control Barbara earlier with, uh, with Nero's bracelet, because it was gold. Mm -hmm. So, see what you will about Nero, but he didn't skimp on the gift. <laughs> the bee man, bee man, whatever, uh, oh, they're Monoptera, that's what they're yep, called. Yeah, Monoptera. <laughs> He, uh, he explains to Barbara that we are to be taken to the Crater of Needles, which which I thought, oh, that doesn't sound good. Uh, but Barbara asks what will happen then, and he says they will put us to work. And then I was like, oh, okay, if it's just work then. It's not the actual <laughs> you know, the application of needles. But then he goes on to say, once there, you might well wish that you had not been spared. So just a little emotional roller coaster there for a minute. Yeah. The, it's start doing something to the fallen bee uh, that we we don't see exactly what it is, but Barbara looks away in horror. So yeah. maybe some uh, maybe some dining or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we see the doctor in the organic structure with the TARDIS and, and his companions. The doctor is standing next to the TARDIS among a couple ant-men, and he's trying to use hand signals to explain to them that they're not supposed to go into the ship. <laughs> but the ants don't seem to be catching on. They're, they're, not, uh, <laughs> they're not the brightest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the old saying, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but, uh, you know, if 
if someone points to the moon, don't look at the finger, look at the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor is uh, trying to communicate, and as an answer to his desire, a big plastic tube descends from above. And it's, it's basically just a clear plastic. And I believe in the next episode, he refers to it as a hairdryer. And that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> well, what it. And I thought that was funny because it was almost like the show was like, yeah, we know <laughs> <laughs> when their own yeah. character is going to say this thing looks like a hairdryer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so aside from being a clear cylinder, it also has a lot of it, stuff. It looks like it's, it's glued to the inside of it. It looks like there's a ton of angel hair pasta or something, <laughs> just, uh, just so it looks a little more visually interesting, I guess. But it descends over the doctor's head, and, and the doctor seems transfixed or stunned uh, as his head is surrounded by the tube. He's just sort of standing there gawking at it. And a husky female voice asks, I think there's a little bit of an echo effect to it as well. Uh, this voice asks, why do you come now? <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. Yep. <laughs> and next up is Escape to Danger. So we, we start out with the doctor being asked, why do you come now? And the doctor says, who are you? We come in peace. <laughs> And she says, peace, is that why you attack? Where is your main force? And there's a lot of more along these lines. Basically, the voice accuses the doctor of lying, says he's part of the Monoptera who are massing in space to attack. And then ants start hurting the doctor and Ian and Vicky together. Things aren't looking good. Now, I have to say, I found this next sequence very confusing. It took me a while to figure out what was going on. Some kind of gun or guns appear out of the wall and fire and there's smoke and then the ants flee and I thought something completely different, but what I, what you realize over the, after the next few minutes is that this was an attempt to break into or destroy the TARDIS, that the guns were mm -hmm. part of the Zarbi arsenal. But yeah, these, these guns are actually attached. Th these are the snouts of the pill bugs, right? It didn't no. look like that to me. No, they were just part of the wall. Like they were, you know, um, I didn't hmm. see any pill bugs or, there. So, but again, okay. the whole sequence is very confusing. So, you know, hmm. and it turns out that, you know, the TARDIS has armor that keeps it from being harmed. And this, for some reason, caused the ants to flee hmm. again, you know, who knows? <laughs> it's, it's very confusing, but the doctor then asks <laughs> Vicky what she did in the ship. And she told him that she just sort of randomly smacked a bunch of controls. And he says she was brilliant because she apparently <laughs> realigned the fluid link and fluid link being another reference back to the yeah. Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> and the power came back on and the doctor is now very cocky. And he sort of says to the sky, trying to destroy my ship, you will achieve nothing, nothing. <laughs> I have great secrets in my ship. We could help you. And then we have a sequence. And I, there are a number of times we cut away to little sequences where there's no real story reason for it. And I think it's just to allow the actors to get into position for something. But mm, in yeah. this case, we see a Monoptera standing on a cliff and then two ants come after it and it flies away. So they're actually using wire work uh, yeah. to, to fly it away. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure there were some wires involved yeah. in that. <laughs> but you do. And then they add the sound of flapping. So that helps, uh, helps with the illusion. 
And we're back to the doctor talking to the pasta machine or the hairdryer. <laughs> <laughs> the voice wants the TARDIS secrets to use against Monoptra. And she says she'll set the crew free if they work with her. And she says Barbara has been taken to the crater of needles beyond her great web. So we're, we don't quite know what her great web is yet. Yeah. I mean, so far for a show called The Web Planet, it's been pretty sparse with the, the webs. <laughs> yeah, they've shown up a couple of times. So yeah. <laughs> the voice doesn't know where the Monoptera ships are in space, and she wants the doctor to figure it out with the TARDIS machinery. So she allows the doctor and Ian into the ship, but Vicky is kept by the ants as a hostage. And then we have another cutaway, and this one is specifically to allow the Doctor and Ian to get to the interior TARDIS set. <laughs> so while they're making their way to that, there's an ant that appears to be running from a Monoptera, and <laughs> very famous in Doctor Who history, it bumps into the camera as it runs uh, by. <laughs> you know, I, I, I noticed that. So if, uh, if, if I noticed it, then it's pretty damn obvious. <laughs> and so Ian and the Doctor have had time to get to the internal TARDIS set, and by the way, they totally cheat on this. It's clear that, you know, they have all this uh, external planet set. So clearly they didn't have much space and they didn't want to try to recreate the interior of the TARDIS. So most of the TARDIS sequences here are just a regular room where they try to kind of add in a couple of extra corners or something, but they just look like mm. office rooms or something. It's very different than <laughs> being, say, in the TARDIS control room, right? Mm. And... Ian and the doctor have one of those long conversations and they're talking about the size of the ants and Ian says he's seen normal ants tear a house apart. So these could tear apart a mountain. And I just found it really amusing that they don't mention, do you remember just a little while ago when we had those giant ants, <laughs> when we were in the yeah, planet of giants? <laughs> they were, um, down in between the paving stones, and they <laughs> right. found the ants and their eggs and all that. Yep. So the doctor and Ian, <laughs> they take this machine, which. Apparently it's some kind of space time map. It has sort of like radar-ish space pictures all around it. You know, it goes up to about your chest and it's portable, but <laughs> it has to be plugged in and Ian goes to unplug it. <laughs> and first of all, I just find it really funny, this, you know, future technology, et cetera. And they had to worry about the plug and the cord, like nothing changes. <laughs> I have about 10 cords on the table I'm on right now. <laughs> So, uh, the doctor says never, ever unplug it. You know, some, you know, it's sort of like, don't yeah, cross he, the stream. Something really bad and, will happen. <laughs> and, and he refers to it as the time and relative dimension machine, which mm. of course is, is the TARDIS's name is time and relative dimension in space, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'm thinking if it's really, really bad that this ever gets unplugged, I mean, really, <laughs> you just have a plug and like someone could come along and trip them. <laughs> yeah. You think you'd have it like in a, you know, stainless steel conduit or something. Yeah. So the doctor tells the hairdryer that something is blocking the machine's ability to map things. And the hairdryer offers to remove her control of the area. So he can determine where the ships are in space. And she follows through. So she trusts him. And Ian, and of course, just like Barbara, you know, immediately betrayed people. <laughs> Ian immediately betrays the hairdryer. He runs away to try and find Barbara. And meanwhile, the doctor manipulates the machine with Vicky. And he hears the invasion force talking. And they're talking about where they're going to meet and how things are going to work. And it turns out they're planning to land at the Crater of Needles, which conveniently is where Barbara is supposed to be. And Ian is sneaking his way along. And basically what they have on the set are these kind of organic walls. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they're like realigning the walls as the episode goes along so they can just mm. 
you know, make maximum use of the space. Well, sure. So he's walking through these sort of modular walls. <laughs> it's really funny. He ends up in a fist fight with one of the giant ants. <laughs> and then he knocks it over. I kind of feel bad for the actor because, you know, he had to get knocked over. But, <laughs> but then some kind of alarm goes off and Ian gets trapped in some kind of wall trap. And alarms go off everywhere, including at the TARDIS. And then ants spend forever running to where Ian is. He's answers running all over the place until they finally find Ian. And they bring along one of those pill bugs and it fires at the wall, which opens up the wall in front of Ian. He then runs out and runs away. <laughs> and this is a little confusing me, but we see a, a monoptera, I think the one we saw earlier, fly off the cliff. It lands and it runs also with Ian. And we're back to the doctor at the TARDIS and the hairdryer tells the doctor that he won't be trusted in the future and they can all be killed. He wants the doctor's info about the fleet. And he says, well, I got to do some more checking of my numbers. You know, <laughs> he's sort of <laughs> refusing to give any information. And they put a mind control collar, one of those gold things on Vicky and the doctor gets an ant to remove it. So I'm not, it was kind of a pointless little thing like, oh, they mind controlled Vicky, nothing happens. And then they take it off of her. Okay. <laughs> now here's one of those, like the doctor makes a, some kind of mistake. I think so. He tells Vicky to go into the TARDIS and get a red box with a recording compound in it from the ship. So Vicky goes in and gets the red box and it turns out it contains a moth or a spider. I'm not quite sure specimen. We, we actually saw this mm -hmm. earlier and didn't, didn't talk about it, but the doctor says, oh, this is the wrong thing. I told you to get a white box, which he did not. He told yeah, her to get a red he box. He said red. Yeah. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as Vicky is going back to the TARDIS holding this specimen, the ant who's guarding them flees. It's just terrified of what she's holding. And as she yeah. walks closer to it, it flees. And she tells the doctor this. And then we are back to Ian. And he's hiding with that monoptera that we saw. And the Monotra says many of his friends are at the Crater of Needles. Their wings have been torn off so they can't escape. So that's pretty bad. And Ian says, what do you expect when you invade a planet? <laughs> I won't get into details, but this certainly <laughs> reminded me of certain um, events in the world right now. But anyway, the Monotra <laughs> says, the planet is ours. We are reclaiming it. <laughs> and then the Monotra says, the Zarbi are not intelligent, but they are essential to the cycle of life. And everyone was at peace here until this dark power, the animus showed up. And apparently, presumably this is the hairdryer. <laughs> <laughs> and this web grew and the Monoptera were pushed out of the planet. And all of a sudden some moons appeared that were never there before. And they were just barely able to fly to one of the moons, which, you know, well, we won't get into the physics of that, but <laughs> <laughs> they need, but even though they could go to one of the moons, they need the energy from this planet to live. So they had to come back and that's why they're invading is they need to come back so they can live. And Ian convinces the Monoptera to come with him to help save those who are at the crater of needles. And then they walk around the Vaseline smeared landscape <laughs> <laughs> and some ants show up and Ian and Monoptera run into a crevice nearby and the ground gives way and dirt is raining down on them. And it's the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so I gotta say I had not you know this is one of those I probably lot watch like once and I just found the the whole approach and the bees and the the it, it just it was so alienating to me and it seemed so silly 
and the Vaseline and everything that mm-hmm. I just, the whole thing, like I said, it was kind of like nails on a chalkboard, but <laughs> I just say rewatching it now, I don't feel like it's that bad. I mean, I, I don't feel, I don't have at all the same reaction. There is some silly stuff, but I'm not like repelled by it. And, you know, maybe that will change with the last three episodes. I, <laughs> I don't recall what happens mm-hmm. in those. Cause honestly, it was just like, okay, this is the really, really freaky psychedelic story with, you know, giant <laughs> bees and ants and making hand motions, dancing hand motions and all that. <laughs> so I don't know. So, so being brand new to this and, and going into it without any expectations, where are you halfway through the story? Uh, I'd, I'd say in a lot of ways, it seems like it's underperforming so far. I'm, I'm hoping the next three <laughs> episodes will be a little more, a little more compelling. You know, I mean that there's, there's room for some, some of the mysteries they've set up could potentially turn out right. to be interesting. Like, you know, who, who is this animus is, is she really a bad guy or just misunderstood? And what's the deal with these moons showing up? I mean, there's, there's a few different things that could turn out to be a very interesting resolution, but there is, there is a lot of uh, silly Silly stuff, you know, like the ants, which are basically normal ants with thunder thighs. You know, just, <laughs> I, you know, there's, it's, I don't hate it, but it's so far, it's definitely not one of my favorites. <laughs> well, maybe after this, we can rewatch the Dalek invasion of Earth and you'll be, this is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Join us next week to find out the stunning conclusion <laughs> in our opinions <laughs> about the web planet. <laughs> so following up on last time, Ian and one of the Monoptera and over, you know, there's a ton of Monoptera in these episodes and I just refer to them as Monoptera because I couldn't pick up on their names. I think this one is the female leader, like Vrabel or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. they all. I, I'm sorry to say, I'm a Monoptera racist. They all look the same. To me. They're all they're all bees. <laughs> so they fall a long, long way, and they're in some kind of tunnel system. And a mysterious beast suddenly shows up, and then we switch to ants. You know, Zarbi, who are overseeing some Monoptera, who are doing some mining with Barbara and Barbara is tired and she sits down and the monopter near her is concerned about her. And one thing I'm going to say in this, in the next, <laughs> the, the episodes we're going to talk about today, it only gets worse with each one <laughs> serious Vaseline vision. And I feel like with Ooh. each episode, they're like, you know what? Last episode, we didn't put enough Vaseline on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got to give them credit for uh, keeping consistent. You know, a lot of shows would have said after the first episode or two, yeah, that kind of looks like crap. Let's not do that for the rest of the episode. <laughs> no, they went all in on it. Yep, exactly. That's <laughs> that's a sign of commitment. <laughs> so tragically, we see, and we'd heard about this before, but now we see that one of the monopters helping Barbara has had his wings removed, and he says he'll never be able to fly again. And then they have an exposition discussion. They're putting material into the water supply that supports something called the animus. And it's kind of funny is we end up with different names for this animus thing over time, but you know, it's the big bad of yeah. the story. 
Yeah, it's the the thing at the center of it all. <laughs> yeah. And the Monoptra tells Barbara that their scientists have developed an isotope to defeat the animus. So the isotope is going to be, you know, kind of the MacGuffin of the story. The important thing as we go along. Now, now it, do, I can't remember this episode. I only watched once. Does do they call it? It's the name that they call it later on, or do they actually say isotope? They say isotope, yeah. Okay, later on they change that up a bit, okay. but we'll get to that. <laughs> and one of the things that is, and I'm going to be honest, it got tiring. To, so, you know, I want to be up front here. With the first three episodes, I said, you know, I, I had this really, really wacky feeling about this story from watching it a long time ago, but the first three episodes weren't that bad. The last three, I... I I just get tired. <laughs> I just get tired <laughs> watching the last three episodes. And it's not because they're simple. Actually, they're very complex and a whole lot of stuff is going on. But I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And so as we go through here, it's like, oh, we go to Barbara with some monopter, and then we go to Ian, and then we go to the doctor, and then we go to Barbara, and then we go to Ian. It's just over and over again. We're just going back and forth and all these different <laughs> things. And I can't keep track of which bee is which and which ant is which and you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh i i can sympathize with you there <laughs> so back to the doctor and ian and they're being harassed by some ants and the doctor tells vicky to use that spider sample she had that scared them but it's too late and before she thinks to use it she gets one of those gold collars put around her neck which suppresses her and then, as happens, I don't know, two dozen times throughout the story, <laughs> the hairdryer tube lowers over the doctor's head, and she's not happy about the delays in him, him helping out, and she says she's going to kill Vicky in response. And the doctor warns her that he knows where the spaceships are, and he forces her to release Vicky if she wants his help. Yeah, the the hair hair dryer does uh, does become a repeating theme. You're like, oh, you've screwed up this time, and then the doctor weasels out of it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it turns out the doctor has some kind of recorder that he's hidden that he doesn't want the hair dryer to know about. Uh, I guess it recorded some of their conversations with the people in space. I don't know. And then, and this is kind of a weird thing that only slightly comes back. He wants Vicky to sneak into the TARDIS and bring him his walking stick. And it kind of makes a big deal about the walking sick. I can't think of any place where it was really relevant, but. <laughs> I think there might have been a moment. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and then we switch back to Ian and the Monoptera he's with, and it looks like they've been captured by these human-sized potato bugs. <laughs> <laughs> and these, so it, the, I'll try to explain this up front. It turns out these potato bug folks they have been underground for a long time since all this stuff's been coming down and they're scared of going to the surface and we'll see how that goes. But they try, so Ian tries to negotiate, but the bugs are too dumb to understand what he's talking about. And then a smarter one of them shows up and he says, he, they are the Optera. Now you might've noticed we have the Menoptera <laughs> and they are the Optera. So that will be important. <laughs> And this smarter one says they're going to consult the chasm of lights. And if Ian and the monopteries with came from above, then they will die because above is bad because above has light and they don't like light. Yeah. And I, I wanted to say something about 
the head opera here. He sounds to me like a guy who's trying to do a very bombastic samurai impression. <laughs> <laughs> we will consult the chasm of lights. You know, that's just, he's just constantly at that tone. So uh, I thought he was a. Uh, it was it was fun, but also uh, not really fun enough to go out the the rest of the stuff. But. Oh, well, anyway. Uh, well, we'll see. By the end, there's some, there, <laughs> there's some bizarre, like, dancing and stuff that occurs at the end of this whole story with them that kind of, maybe kind of makes it worth it, but. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, I know what you're talking about at uh, the end of the third. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. So now we're back to Barbara's. We just keep, you know, rotating between all these people, and she's with some Monoptera. And they're trying to figure out how the Zarbi know all their plans. And they blame the doctor, says the doctor has betrayed them. And they're planning a suicide attack on the Animus. And they just want to overwhelm it with numbers. They want to get outside and find a high spot so they can warn the invading force. And they say, if only we could destroy the larvae gun, which are, you know, those little, little pill, pill bugs, bugs or whatever. Guys, yeah, yeah, that, that uh, have a nose that can shoot you know conveniently yeah <laughs> then we're back to the doctor and vicky and vicky scares away a zarby one of the ants with a spider sample and the doctor drags the gold mind control thingy along with his walking stick so ah, this is kind of the one use of his walking stick right ah, okay. he didn't have to yeah. touch it i guess and Makes and literally sense. the entire point of the walking stick was this five seconds so he could be dragging <laughs> that thing without touching it yeah and they talk about the fact that it's gold, and the doctor remembers that in the very first episode, Ian had a gold pin that flew away, and he starts realizing, you know, what that's all about. Yeah. We're back to Barbara, and the Monoptera she's with want to take out the larvae gun, you know, one of those little bugs. And so they plot to destroy the gun, and a couple of the Monoptera take out the Zarbi, while Barbara and another Monoptera go over to the pill bug thingy. And they have a very silly looking fight where Parfra has <laughs> grabbed this little thing and is rocking it back and forth. Uh, I feel bad for the actor who is inside it. <laughs> and then a Monoptera takes it and squishes it against the wall and Barbara turns away. So it's a kind of, you know, uh, kind of disturbing little image there of this bug being squished. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're back to the doctor. And Vicky again, and the doctor has finished whatever he was doing. I'm not sure what he was doing. <laughs> he says, now they know the TARDIS is the opposing force. And I don't know how they know that. I don't know what he's talking about. And I couldn't pick up anything here. But part of what he was doing was he was integrating the gold suppression device into his mapping machine, that astro, that portable astro map machine that he had pulled out of the TARDIS earlier. And he just literally has stuck the gold suppression thing that goes around your shoulders he's just stuck it on his device and somehow that's helpful <laughs> and then there's a small explosion with the device and the hair dryer comes down about the 20th time and the doctor says he's not ready but the hair dryer doesn't accept it and he the doctor explains the explosion he says there was something in his hand that was the cause and suddenly he, so, okay, I'm sorry, I can't, I just, I just can't follow this freaking story. <laughs> the hairdryer comes down, the doctor says he's not ready, the hairdryer doesn't accept it, 
And the doctor explains the explosion that occurred and said this thing he's holding in his hand was the cause. And I don't even know what this thing is. The hairdryer comes down. The doctor says he's not ready. The hairdryer doesn't accept it. The doctor explains the explosion and says this thing he's holding in his hand was the cause. And suddenly the thing in his hand starts broadcasting Monoptera space communications. And I, again, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what this thing in his hand is. I don't know why it's communicating stuff. And then the hairdryer accuses the doctor of being in possession of the attack info all the time, says he'll be dealt with when the invasion is repelled. It's always convenient with the evil person who has, who could kill you in that moment, you know, <laughs> says, ah, oh, we'll deal with you later. No, okay. That's nice. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then we see the, a gold mind control device on Vicky again. I think it's like the fourth <laughs> time she's had a mind control device put on her. Uh, and Azarbi is controlling her. And then we see the doctor now also has a mind control device around his neck. Okay. And we're back to Barbara. <laughs> it's just, you know, our little rotating thing here. And Barbara and the monoptera get to a plateau and they're waiting the spearhead. And now I'm going to make a joke that you will not understand yet, but one day you will. It's uh, like the spearhead from space. That's a Doctor Who joke. <laughs> All right. I, I can tell already I'm going to be slapping my knee when I finally yeah, understand exactly. it. <laughs> Definitely. And then the Zarbi are moving in on Barbara and the Monopter while they're waiting, and the Monopter decide that the Doctor betrayed them, which I think they'd already decided earlier. Okay. <laughs> you just... <laughs> I'm so enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, this happened yeah. and then that happened and then this you happened. Know, but, <laughs> be, but before we recorded the first part of this, uh, you know, you had just been kind of cagey about, uh, oh, I want to <laughs> see what you think of the web planet. And I was like, oh, maybe this is one of the really juicy ones. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Honestly, though. I thought that maybe, because, you know, a lot of times you have a different opinion than I do. Yeah. I thought that maybe you would take to this story. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few things I enjoy. I'll try to, you know, point them out as they arise. But, I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> well I'll, I'll save my verdict for the, for the end, as is tradition. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way I'll describe it is, as we went along here, I just slowly lost my will to live. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so now we're back to the Optra, the kind of potato bug thingies, with Ian <laughs> and some Monoptera, so we're getting everybody here. Oh, and, and it's worth mentioning, too, with these guys, they move differently than the Menoptera. Like, the Menoptera are very dancer-like and graceful, like uh, from Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats or that kind of right. thing, yeah. And then these Optera, they just kind of hop around with their yeah, legs Yeah, they're together. like little kids in a, you know, they're like five-year-olds putting on a play in terms of their costume, the way they have to be literally. <laughs> yeah. So the Optera explained that, the you know, they're about to kill the Monoptera, and they explained to Ian that they come from above, and people who come from above always try to kill them. And I'll say, well, you are bugs. <laughs> so <we can laughs> yeah, it stands to reason. Yeah. And the Monoptera point out that the invasion force is only coming to destroy the evil Zarbi, right? The ants. They're not trying to kill these Optera. In fact, nobody knew about these Optera until recently. They didn't really care about them. <laughs> and... 
Ian says out of nowhere, don't you understand you are Monoptera like this dude here? And he points to one of the Monoptera and they're shocked. And it turns out and the Monoptera confirms the Monoptera are the gods of the Optera. So the Optera are descendants of the Minoptera. So you couldn't have imagined that from the, <laughs> the language. And um, the Optera, I guess, had treated them as gods. And the Monoptera explains that the Optera lost their wings but previously, before everything got messed up, they had a good deal of peace and prosperity under the Monoptera. So I guess they were happy slaves. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Monoptera explaining this spreads her wings and awes the Optera. And I will say, again, one of the good things about all this is actually the Monoptera, you know, bee people have pretty good costumes and their wings are pretty cool. And when she spreads her wings, yeah, they it's are, pretty cool. There's a couple times when she has her wings spread and it is... You had compared them to butterfly wings in a, you know, our last recording. And I think I, I, I kind of pushed back against you last time, but I think, I think you're right. When they are fully spread, they are kind of butterfly-like. They're, they're not entirely like they don't have all the colors, although it's not a color show, but you can see <laughs> that they're just clear, you know, cellophane or whatever. But yeah, they are kind of butterfly-like, but the outfit is pure B. <laughs> yep. So then we're back to Barbara and some Monoptera, and they're like on a cliff somewhere, and the spearhead flies in. So this is the force that's supposed to come in and take everything out. Yeah, the, and, the vanguard, the spearhead yeah. and the vanguard are the you know, same thing. And they're warned to disperse because the Zarbi know what's going on, and they're going to get massacred. But it's too late, and they have a big fight with the Zarbi, and the Zarbi show up and start making video game sounds again. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I feel bad about kind of trashing this story is that they put a huge amount of effort in. I mean, during this fight, they have a whole bunch of wire work where, you know, the Monoptera are flying around and, and mm -hmm. all this, and that's a lot of work for well, a yeah. show like this. And the wire work is fun when it appears. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not grade A, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. Yeah. And they do repeat a few of the shots. <laughs> it's like, well, we've got this <laughs> shot of a, you know, Monoptera flying from here to here. So we'll just use it again, you know, but, uh, you know, I understand. I mean, again, it's hard to put all this together. And, but the spearhead of Monoptera start retreating and then Barbara is surrounded by Zarbi. And it's the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Invasion. <laughs> Now, I got to say, before you head into this one, <laughs> mm -hmm. for a combination possibly of sleep deprivation and, and maybe day drinking, <laughs> I kept falling asleep <laughs> during the story. So, so I'm relying on you to take me through it because I didn't have time to rewatch it. And I'm not sure I uh, would have had the will to, <laughs> to do so. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's fine. I, uh, I actually, I, I watched it twice once just to see it and once to take the notes so i think i know i know the relevant points there is like <laughs> i said there's a lot of filler that will end up uh <laughs> glossing over but uh but i think i have the basic stuff <laughs> we'll take it away okay all right well the uh show starts off with the spearhead force under attack and they're surrounded and as sometimes happens in Doctor Who, it turns out that the big cliffhanger was actually completely none a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's always happened. <laughs> 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 and 
What they do is they duck into a gap between some rocks and a wall slides behind them to cover the entrance and the attackers are stymied. Uh, so they're safe <laughs> That's always convenient. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, in the carcinome, which is the, uh, the evil headquarters, the doctor and Vicky are standing there with the gold collars on and they look like they're hypnotized, but, but one of them isn't. Vicky isn't. Her collar is busted from the stuff that she and the doctor were doing earlier. Well, doc, the doctor speculates the force field is being reversed, but I seem to remember that in the previous episode, he had done something that to trigger that collar mm -hmm. being busted. But anyway, the doctor thinks that his ring may be able to control the collar, the ring that he, uh, he once sold to a, Taylor in Paris <laughs> turns out to have a lot of valuable properties. Mm -hmm. The doctor whispers a plan to Vicky, and uh, as Ron has taught us in many episodes here, that if he whispers the plan so nobody can hear it, that's, that's ensuring that the plan will work. <laughs> so Vicky falls to her knees and feigns confusion. Zarby comes around to sniff at her. And when it does, the doctor slaps the gold collar on it. This is the busted collar that he thinks he may be able to control. And it works. And here's something, a little bit of a continuity error, I think. The doctor motions to the Xarbi to guide it. And we saw a scene early on where he was trying to <laughs> communicate with the hand gestures to the Xarbi, and they understood no part of it. So... <laughs> Now, maybe they've they been can. studying that in the time yeah, between. <laughs> maybe they've been brushing up on it, getting some lessons from the animus or something. So the doctor and Vicky and the Zarbi all go off and make their way through the halls of the carcinome. Meanwhile, we find out what this gap is that Barbara and some of the other people, uh, the other, uh, whatever the hell they're called, the butterfly bee people. <laughs> Monoptera. Monoptera, yeah, Monoptera. <laughs> came to me just then. They find out that the gap that they walked into between the rocks is actually a huge temple. And Barbara says, it's beautiful, Propylus. And it's not really beautiful. It's, <laughs> it's pretty much your garden variety Dr. Usip. <laughs> And I think, I could be wrong, but I think Propylus is meant to be another insect pun because Papillon is French for butterfly. I have no okay. idea if I pronounced that right, but it's, it, it looks like Propylus, but without that R at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, so little, another little pun there for whoever appreciates those. Propylus goes ahead and dumps a whole lot of lore about these lost temples of light. You know, how they were thought to be lost, but he'd hoped that they'd find them again and all this. I mean, it, it's stuff if you're, if you're a Monoptera history buff that might be interesting, but otherwise it's pretty much irrelevant. The spearhead leader Hilo, Hilio shows up and scares everybody by surprising them. And Helenia brought him, and it turns out that the spearhead leader, Hilio, he doesn't trust Barbara, which yeah. always has to be somebody in Doctor Who who's mm. mistrustful. That, that'd be a good episode, actually, if you just had, like, they arrive somewhere, everybody trusts him, they have a wonderful time, and, you know, <laughs> at the end of the episode, they just take off, like a one-episode special. <laughs> I don't think it'll happen. Yeah. 
So uh, Helio doesn't trust Barbara, but Propylus informs Helio of the situation of the spearhead force that he was supposed to be the head of, that the, the, everyone in it is dead or captured. Yeah, you know, and I didn't mention this one in the last episode when I talked about the spearhead showing up. The spearhead, which, you know, you would think is would be a whole lot of people to help push through and make things work. Really, mm. It was like one or two. <laughs> like, mm. it's, it's sort of like in the sensor rides, if you remember, when this guy, like, has, you know, this whole crew of people who are ready to go out and fight, and it turns out to be two people. <laughs> was, you know, we, we see this again with the spearhead. The spearhead is, you know, two or three people, which is not a very impressive <laughs> spearhead, but okay. Yeah. So, uh, Helio figures that the, the, uh, defeat of the spearhead force figures, he, he figures it spells doom for the main force. Because they won't know the right place to land without guidance from the spearhead. But Propellus is more optimistic. He he gives a pretty long monologue about the history of the Monoptera. So I'm not going to repeat that whole thing. Yeah, maybe but, maybe but I'll insert a... it here. Helio, the Monoptera have no wisdom for war. Before the animus came, the flower forest covered the planet in a cocoon of peace. Our ancestors carved temples like this for resting places of our dead. But that was all the work we did. There were no other plans to make. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, there, there is one quote that he has that I especially like about, he says, light was our God and we existed in light, flying above thought. It's sort of vaguely poetic, I think, but there's also some stuff he says about the, you know, brains and wings and that, that, that you can throw in as a sound clip just to space <laughs> things in. They tore my wings from me, and I felt, as you feel, that all was lost. But if our gods favor our survival, we must learn their lesson and use our brains and not our wings. So Barbara asks about what the master plan would have been if the spearhead had worked. And Helio produces a destructor. This destructor looks like a Christmas tree ornament. <laughs> and it, as he says, it would have reversed the process, meaning the process of the animus growing and spreading out over the planet, would have reversed the process, made the cells grow inwards and die. And we do now have a tradition of these Christmas tree ornaments. If you recall the bombs from the Dalek invasion of Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. The scientist, the good guy scientist had these little holy hand grenade of Antioch type things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I remember that. So, uh, Barbara and the Monoptera, they're debating about whether, whether there are enough Monoptera to, left to carry out the plan. Actually, I don't think Barbara has much say in it. It's just, it's just Helio yep. and Propylus. Oh, and a Harastar is here too. I had forgotten that, but, uh, I have a quote from him here, which, uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate your attempts to name all of them to be there. Are just all these <laughs> B people. I can't tell them apart. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's, and to my, in my defense. And I think it's kind of a flaw in terms of the makeup and presentation. There's literally no difference between any of the B people. You could not 
they all have the exact same makeup, which is actually yeah, the, pretty I, impressive compared, especially compared to the other creatures in this show. <laughs> but it, but there's no differentiating them. Yeah, I, I I think they do have slightly different facial markings because I noticed something at one point that made me think that. But but it's so you know it, it it's not something that's easy to pick up for somebody who's going to watch it one time on a small TV screen in the nineteen sixties. <laughs> Rostar, anyway, he has a he has a wise piece of advice. I think he says, "Both ways may mean our death." He's referring to uh, whether they carry out the plan or they carry out Barbara's plan. But hope lies in action. <laughs> so once again, <laughs> Doctor Who preceding Star Wars, because uh, remember, you know, hope is the you know, the motivator for rebellion and, and all this. So, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think I misspoke this, that he's not talking about, uh, one of the ways being Barbara's plan that comes later. I just remember, but, uh, but yeah, hope, uh, hope lies in action. He says, and, and there's some truth to that. I, I took several years ago, uh, at my workplace, they offered what's called Alice training, which is basically training in like what to do if Godzilla attacks your town <laughs> or, uh, you know, the gunman comes into the building. That's what, that's mainly what they focus on. Not so much Godzilla. Anyway, the Alice training, the one thing I really remember of it is the message doing something is better than doing nothing, you know, cause <laughs> you know, don't stand around and wait to get ganked, you know, <laughs> do something even if it's wrong. So they have decided that they're going to attack, and then we switch to underground, where Ian is dealing with the Optra. And the uh, the head Optra, he says, the root of evil, Quadarak, is near. This is their name for the Animus. You know what? And I totally missed it because I was probably sleeping at that point. But why do we have three different names? <laughs> We have the hairdryer with the animus with the Poitrock. I mean, I, I, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah, this is a little bit like, you know, Tolkien would do that, right? Like the same character would have three different names, you know, at oh, different points yeah. in the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The animus will also be known as the spider. And, uh, I think there's yeah. a couple others we're missing at the moment. <laughs> so, uh, they're going to head for the root of evil. And, uh, one of the other Optra, Nemini, uh, she will lead them. Outside the carcinome, and again, the carcinome, and, and I think carcinoma, if I remember right, is, <laughs> it's a, a, cancer. <laughs> is a word, you know, it's like a cancerous tumor yeah. or something like yeah. that. So, uh, so the carcinome may have been picked for its symbolic uh, value of the animus being a cancer on the planet. Anyway, outside the carcinome, uh, the doctor thinks, you know, he, he's gotten out, uh, with, with Vicky and the the slave Zarbi. The doctor thinks that they can find the Monoptera by following Zarbi tracks to the Spearhead Force because the Zarbi were called out to oppose the Spearhead Force. Reasonable conclusion. Further on, uh, the doctor decides he must rest. He's kind of exhausted. And Vicky reveals that she is named the Zarbi Zombo. In the <laughs> I don't know if it's still around, but Zombo.com used to be a very nice, relaxing website to go to. <laughs> okay. uh, I figured I'd mention that. She's named it Zombo, and she says uh, he's quite cute, isn't he, when he's like this? 
The doctor says, well, I haven't noticed it before, my dear, but since you mentioned it, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way he kind of set that up. Yeah, and I would tend to agree with them. <laughs> they're, they're big, disgusting ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, the monoptera actually do have some beauty to them, but the ants do not. <laughs> uh, yeah. The doctor says uh, he'll buy Vicky a collar for him at the next stop. But if they lose him, there are about 200 more ahead. So the doctor gets a, gets a little humor into this scene, even though it's otherwise mostly pointless, <laughs> <laughs> as are a few scenes in these episodes. So back underground, Ian is with the uh, Optera once more, and the passage ahead is blocked by uh, stalactites and stalagmites, and the leader says, break the teeth of stone. <laughs> so they do that, but it turns out they're not going to go that way after all because there's vapors in the tunnel. So the leader suggests a different tunnel. <laughs> leader, uh, they come to it with just a, uh, a solid, they come to a solid wall. The leader says, a silent wall. We must make mouths in it with our weapons. <laughs> then it will speak more light. So in other words, he's saying make holes in the wall. And I did kind of like this part. I don't know. It's kind of funny. They go on and on about mouths over time, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was kind of yeah. creative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, some of these bits are pointless, but fun, you know, but, but then they're not really, they're not things that you want to like remember on your deathbed or something <laughs> like that. Anyway, while the rest are moving through the opening, Ian braces himself to hold up the opening and keep it from collapsing. I don't know if you remember the old song, Big John. I think it's from the 1960s. Big John. Big John. Big bad John. Big John. Then came the day at the bottom of the mine when a timber cracked and men started crying. Miners were praying and hearts beat fast and everybody thought that they'd breathe their last, except John. Through the dust and the smoke of this man-made hell walked a giant of a man that the miners knew well, grabbed a sagging timber and gave out with a groan and like a giant oak tree just stood there alone, Big John. Big John. But uh, Big John was a guy. There was a there was a cave in at the bottom of the mine, and Big John <laughs> held up the breaking timbers while all the other guys got out. And when Ian finally gets moving, uh, the tunnel caves in behind him. And then back at the Temple of Light, which isn't particularly light, actually. No, <laughs> oh, well. Barbara suggests a diversion attack to attract the Zarbi. Then, while all that's happening, a single infiltrator will go into the center of the animus. So, uh, yeah, big diversion, little infiltration. So it's a fair plan. But Helio points out that the lone intruder could be foiled by even a single larvae gun. Helio wants to fly over the carcinome and cut his way in. But Propylus says the carcinoma is too strong and it heals too quickly. He'd never be able to make it through. So the Monopter seem ultimately to agree that Barbara's plan is the best shot. But they argue a little bit 
about who will be that lone infiltrator uh, when their argument consists of just standing there hissing at, at each other and, <laughs> you know, waving their arms. And as they're doing that, the temple doors open and it's a Zarbi that comes in. But fortunately, the Zarbi is Zombo and he's followed <laughs> by the doctor. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> then back in the underground tunnel, here's a tragic little scene that really... Could have been more tragic if it was <laughs> handled a little differently, but oh well, it is what it is. Lemony, who is leading the group now, or just leading them through the tunnels, she makes a hole in a wall, but it lets acid seep through, the acid that we've seen on, in pools on the surface. And she cries out, the liquid hate from above. <laughs> Which again, you know, Kind of creative, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. It's a vivid way of putting it. Sure. The leader says he he's off to the side, commenting on this, and he he says basically that she's gonna have to sacrifice herself to save the rest of them. So she blocks the hole with her body, and she dies wailing, mm. which is one of the more unpleasant scenes we've seen in Doctor <laughs> Who. I think. It, Except it isn't really, I mean, it's, they don't draw it out. It's kind of like, you know, five seconds of wailing and then mm. she's gone. And the acid doesn't eat through her body, at least not quickly. So that's a relief. The optera give her a moment of silence. Then they move on. Ian gives her his own private moment of silence. And then he joins the rest of them. So we've had another another sacrifice. There are quite quite a few uh, sacrifices throughout mm -hmm. these this little uh, story arc. A bunch of insects, <laughs> yeah, but they're sentient insects. Yeah. So <laughs> at the Temple of Light, Propellus says the Animus is an alien from the darkness of space. So now we we know where that came from. The subsequent conversation reveals that it draws power from the planet's magnetic pole. I think it's Vortis. Is that the name of the planet? Yeah. yeah. Uh, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> it's drawing its power from the magnetic pole. And supposedly this explains the new moons. They were, But if, if the planet's magnetic pole is strong enough to draw in new moons, they're not going to go into orderly orbits. They're just going to smack <laughs> right into it, I would think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's just me overthinking. Yes. Uh, the doctor says uh, the same force drew and holds the TARDIS here. So now we know that's why the TARDIS was stuck and mm -hmm. you know, sucked down to the planet. So I don't know. It's not... It's not the best science fiction explanation we've seen in the Doctor <laughs> Who so far. But yeah, well, we honestly, got. it's hard to believe that the gravitational pull of the planet would be more than a sun. <laughs> so <laughs> if you take this seriously, it would imply that every time the TARDIS passed a sun, you know, it would be pulled in. But okay, yeah. let's, not, let's not worry <laughs> about that too much. <laughs> I guess it could be whatever the Animus is doing to augment or use that power. You know, that's, uh, that's the escape hatch here, I guess. <laughs> so the Doctor likes Barbara's plan of the, uh, the distraction and the infiltrator. But his plan is that he and Vicky will be the infiltrators, and they'll take that destructor ball. And the ball, it turns out, is called the isoptope. 
which is one of the worst puns I think we've heard in Doctor Who so far. Because Isop is the galaxy that the planet is in. Mm. Now, this morning, I actually, it bugged me enough, I was trying to think <laughs> of a good analogy to why I, I think it was wrong to call it the Isop toe. And, and the best thing I could think of was, you know, Mr. Peabody and Sherman from the old Bullwinkle cartoons? Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the Wayback Machine and they travel through time. Hello again, Peabody here. Where are we going this time, Mr. Peabody? Vienna, Austria, where we'll meet that brilliant composer and virtuoso Ludwig von Beethoven. Adjusting the Wayback Machine to the year 1799, Sherman and I were quickly on our way. In no time at all, we found ourselves in a small studio where Mr. Beethoven was hard at work. Well, imagine, you know, Mr. Peabody says something like, As you know, Sherman... We're in the Milky Way galaxy, therefore, in the future, I shall refer to this device as the Milky Wayback Machine. <laughs> I mean, that's about the level of pun this is. Uh, yeah, maybe... I, I think the tragedy here is that, you know, while in the shower or whatever, you could have been thinking about cures for cancer. But, <laughs> but I wanted to come up with a good analogy to explain yeah. my rage. Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say rage. Just, uh, I don't know. It rubs me the wrong way, that's all. But anyway, the Helio, the spearhead leader, uh, he's got a little more suspicion to hand out to the doctor, but eventually he caves in. He gives the doctor the magic doodad. And in turn, Propylus asks if he can borrow Zombo, the friendly ant. The doctor says, well, he can, but uh, he'll also need to bother, or to bother to borrow the doctor's ring to control it. And the doctor's ring is, of course, of untold value. And Propylus <laughs> asks, may I know its secret? The doctor says, you may not. Use it and return it. <laughs> oh, very good day. Uh, traditional doctor line there. I like that. Back in the Carson home, the doctor gives Vicky the, uh, what's it? The, uh, isoptope <laughs> as it'll be less conspicuous with her for some reason. They, uh, they get back to the room where they had been held prisoner earlier, uh, which I think is also where the TARDIS is. And they're surrounded by Zarbi. And the doctor says, Leave it to me, child, leave it to me. But before we see what he's got up his sleeve, we get a quick view of the uh, underground tunnels, and uh, Ian is planning to go up through the uh, through the ceiling. Outside the Carson home, Barbara says, We wait. Make sure the doctor has got to the control section. They're not going to uh, start their big distraction until they're sure that he's made some progress. Or at least they waited long enough to think that he has. And then, in the carcinome, we see the doctor and Vicky together. There's a weird-looking gun in the wall. Looks kind of like a spider leg. We've seen these guns before in the first three episodes. But this time, this gun makes a few spraying sounds. And then we see the doctor and Vicky clinging to each other, covered in webs. And I want to say, I actually thought this was a pretty good shot because it is a little bit dramatic. Like, I just the way the webs looked and the way they are, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, it was, um, 
Yeah, they look uh, they look like they could be dead, and the yeah. webs the webs do look good. Uh, the webs uh, I don't know what they made them out of, but uh, uh, yeah, the webs work. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like they're frozen or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when the doctor said leave it to me, obviously this is what he hidden. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. Okay, next up, the final episode, <laughs> if we can survive, uh-huh. The Center. Okay, so at this point, I woke up and <laughs> realized I needed to be taking notes, so I paid a little more <laughs> attention to this episode. Good. And after a bit of the webbing around, the doctor and Vicky magically dissipates. The hairdryer descends for the 24th time. <laughs> <laughs> And the hairdryer's not happy about their attempted escape. She says, you're of no further use except for the way you think. <laughs> I need your intelligence. You will be brought to the center to me. And, you know, it's very fortunate for the doctors who've seen all these stories, and it'll kind of be true throughout the history of Doctor Who, that the bad guys always immediately recognize his unique intelligence, you know, <laughs> and, and, and always he gets treated exceptionally uh, because of that. <laughs> And then going back into our constant cycle of <laughs> between all the different uh, crew members, we're back to Barbara and a bunch of Monoptera. And I will say, you know, I mentioned it before, but I can't help but say it again. <laughs> the previous five episodes clearly didn't have enough Vaseline <laughs> because this time <laughs> they added more. <laughs> you're getting to the point where you're like really squinting to try to see what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, they uh, they didn't hold back. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the deal is that each week they added more Vaseline over the Vaseline that was already on the camera. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. Sure. Yeah. Sure, trying to build up a cumulative effect there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Barbara tells the Monoptera to send in the mind-controlled Zarbi, and then we're back to the Doctor and Vicky. And the doctor wants that little destructor doohickey back from Vicky, but she doesn't have it because she hid it in the astromech. I don't even know what the, heck the astromech is. I think it's the that's astromap. A, uh, that's the, the yeah. astro astromap machine. Yeah, yeah. the, uh, the a- astromech uh, would be R two D two. Yeah, but you can hide holograms in him. So you know, <laughs> six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah. Uh, but this is uh, this is also uh, probably worth mentioning that while they're having this conversation, they're being marched down a corridor by uh, by Zarbi. Right. And then we do yet another scene switch back to Barbara, and Zarbi is approaching Barbara and the Monoptera. And the Monopter are terrified of being near the Zarbi, and they start yelling in weird voices. And, and this becomes a theme in this episode, and mm-hmm. I don't understand it. Yeah. They just start yelling Zarbi and yee-yee and Zarbi. And, the, the, and <laughs> apparently this kind of yelling helps control the ants. I don't understand. Zarbi! <laughs> Zarbi! Yeah, actually, this this is probably my favorite thing in all the episodes <laughs> is because it's just so weird. They're out there all just like trying to get the Zarbi's attention going, Zarbi, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know what it reminded me of, and it it's just by sheer good fortune that a friend of mine uh, re- recommended a video a couple of weeks ago that was uh, 
hog calling mm-hmm. set to heavy metal music. Since um, since you guys are clapping, can I can I get a clap like a steady clap like? Hey piggy 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 pig pig. Hey piggy 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 pig pig. Come here. Come here. <laughs> this reminded me of the hog calling. You know, I mean, yeah. everybody in yeah. the video had different ways of doing it, but some of it. So I think this might be like a memory of the Monoptera when the, when things were good and the Zarbi were peaceful and subservient and all that. They probably called them like hogs and right. know, f- figured out See, ways I was of thinking rodeo them. clowns, right, who mm, control the, yeah. the bulls and all that. So kind of sure, yeah. Sure, same yeah. thing. Yep. So the Zarbi, the ant, is weirded out by all this yelling <laughs> and he runs off. And they realize he's going to return with reinforcements, but apparently that's what they wanted for, for some reason they were, you know, they're, they're trying right. to like well, trap this is, a bunch of them. Yeah. This is, this is the diversion to free up space for the infiltrators to go right. in. So one thing sense. I'll note too, we haven't mentioned this and it's been true through all the stories. I mean, the sets are interesting and a lot of them are just these kind of, um, modular pieces of wall that they put up. Right. But also they clearly had a lot of sort of creaky plywood because every time people are walking around, you just hear the creaking of the plywood <laughs> and you hear it a lot in this episode, but it's been true throughout the story. And, and it's funny cause you know, obviously they didn't have like digital means or whatever to take out these sounds. Oh, sure. Yeah. They, they still weren't working with a huge budget, even now that it was a popular show. Right. So now we're to Ian and Simonoptera and Optera, and they're near this bunch of roots going up the wall, and the roots are raining down a liquid, and Ian says, acid again, (laughs) which I guess is natural because he's encountered a lot of acid in this story and in previous (laughs) stories, but this time it's just water. And apparently the roots, I, I don't know, I didn't quite get this, but I think the roots have been sucking the water out from the planet or something, and it's part of yeah, the whole... Yeah, we'll, we'll see later on, at the very end, you know, the ants will open up a little babbling brook that comes out of the ground. <laughs> what has happened is that, you know, the planet used to have running water and streams and all that stuff, and it doesn't now because the animus has been sucking it all up for its own benefit. Yep. So, yep. And the Optera, you know, which are the little potato bugs or whatever, they don't want to go to the surface. They're scared of it. And the Monoptera here insists that as descendants of the Monoptera, the Optera will be fine. They'll be able to handle the light because they're very concerned about the light at the surface. And one brave Optera agrees to go, and then they climb up the vines. That's the leader, I think, the samurai guy. <laughs> now we're to Barbara with some other Monoptera waiting for the Zarbi to come back. And the, and I guess um, the whole point here was they were waiting for one of those little gun bugs to come yeah, along. Yeah, the larvae guns. Yeah. yeah. And they slip a gold suppressor thingy around the gun bug. Uh, unfortunately, one of the Monopteras tragically dies in the process. It's a, it's a very long death scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's kind of off at an angle, so it's not clear how the gun actually got him. But, right. Uh, but then he like, oh, you know, well. as a dancer, he tragically falls over the bug <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's, he, yeah, he, and you know, 
that that actor took their time. <laughs> no, and I think on the second watching, yeah, this could be worth a sound clip. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> maybe I'm making it bigger in memory than it actually was. But I, I watched it today, uh, not long before we recorded. Just for I watched it a second time, which I'll explain why in a little bit. That little gun bug, the uh, the larva. It, uh, when it dies, it's made kind of a pathetic noise. Um, mm. and, and, uh, may, maybe it was just my imagination or whatever, but, uh, uh, it seemed like it, they put a little bit of pathos in there. <laughs> Poor little bug. Yep. <laughs> So then we're back to the doctor and Vicky and they're being herded by some Zarbi and they're brought to the center and the light is too bright for their eyes. So the center is basically where the hair dryer entity lives. Yeah. The center, AKA the animus. <laughs> yeah. AKA the, the spider. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I'm trying to interpret my notes here. So, um, so there's a weird swirling light thingy. You know, and the voice of the hairdryer, and apparently it absorbs everything. I did mm. like, um, and it is, we do see it physically, and it is this kind of giant spider-like thing. And Vicky yeah. has this line, I like, you filthy great spider. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I have a theory about that. I think uh, she had to say, you filthy great spider, to one point out why her little mummified spider gimmick worked earlier to scare the ants but also to point out that this thing is supposed to be a spider because it looks more like a filthy great jellyfish to me <laughs> that's true yeah. and then we're back to ian and company and they're still climbing the vine and the only reason i even mentioned this is it just gives me terry nation vibes right you know ah. whenever you're climbing or going along corridors or whatever it's like oh it's a terry nation story but he didn't write this one so it's not his fault yeah and then we're to Barbara and Monoptera, and they're continuing on. And another Monoptera dies fighting a Zarbi. So, you know, this is a war with, with casualties. Yeah. And then we're back to Dr. and Vicky. And did I say this just goes on and on? <laughs> Ian, Barbara, the doctor, Ian, Barbara, the doctor. Okay. Um, the doctor appears to be unconscious. Vicky is fighting the influence of the center, but then she succumbs. And now the center says it's going to go after, it kind of, I think it reads their minds and, you know, mm. what they know about and says it's going to go after earth and take from man his mastery of space. So yeah, now the center does like it's monologuing a little bit. Yeah. But also this monologue doesn't quite make sense to me. They're going to go after Earth and then take from man his mastery of space. Well, how would you get to Earth? You would have to go through space. So, mm -hmm. so I'm not quite sure yeah, what you would be learning from once you got there. But the animus will have to go real slow, where after yeah. meeting man and taking over the Earth, then she'll have the knowledge to go really fast. Okay, that could be the case. <laughs> now, she could always go the uh, Dalek route, too, and just turn the earth into a big hot rod yeah well, around it yeah you know, i thought that was cool you had a problem with that but i thought it was cool <laughs> yeah it, uh, I, I just I, I i haven't yet come to understand the physics of it i guess <laughs> 
So then we're back to Barbara in Simonoptra, and they come across the doctor's astrolab, and they send a message to the invasion force with some warnings, but it doesn't seem to be working. And then Barbara finds an isotope, that uh, isoptope, I guess, yeah, hidden in the device. Well, and I, I, I want to mention here that how she finds it hidden. I mean, you know, you've got this little six-sided pedestal with mm. these round radar-type screens that show the stars on it and everything. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good prop, I think. But then... Then she just like takes one of those big round screens and just slides it aside, you know, like it's hanging on a single nail, you know, it's yep. like a piece of cardboard hanging on a nail. It really kind of ruins the illusion of yeah. scientific authority. Yeah. There's not like any electronics behind these screens or anything. <laughs> so the Monopterists say they need to take this thing to the center. And then we're to Ian, he's crawling through a tube. And I was going to say, how many times have we seen Ian crawling through a tube in the doctor? <laughs> Aztecs, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. He works to punch a hole in the side of the wall. And then again, another kind of poetic thing from the opera. They say, the blind mouth will not let us through. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and then we're back to Barbara and they enter a room with Zarbi and they play this bizarre game of catch with the isotope there, you know, uh, she's tossing it between her and the other monopteras, the ants are going after them. And then they reach the center and the monoptera overcome in the, in the presence of the center. So they give the isotope to Barbara to use on the dark side. And again, I'm going to say, you know, Doctor Who was basically the template for Star Wars. You know, we have the dark side, et cetera. Yeah, except uh, I've I, I watched this particular episode twice, and I still haven't seen a dark side to that thing. <laughs> now, I will say again, production-wise, I mean, as much as, much as you know, the story frustrates me, they were so ambitious production-wise. So all she sees are these blurry lights, and... It was kind of brave, you know, for a kid's show, et cetera, in the 60s, where where you have these blurry lights that represent her perception mm-hmm. of the center. And she struggles, and eventually she does whatever it is she needs to do. I don't know. Yeah, and- <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's when Ian suddenly pops up, and that ends up, uh, she ends up collapsing from exhaustion, and I think that puts her in the position to... Where she's hitting the dark side with her emanations or whatever. Right. And so whatever happens, the center <laughs> collapses. Like, And, you know, again, we said, it was, actually, I think you described it well. It's kind of like a, a very big jellyfish. And <laughs> it collapses like an evil witch being hit with water. <laughs> so, you know, and story basically over. And then we're on the surface with the Monoptera and the Zarbi. And the Zarbi are suddenly attracted to some water bubbling up through the soil. They just start going after it like crazy and sucking it up. And they call Vicky over to the water, <laughs> pronounce it. And it turns out that they explain that before the animus arrived, water flowed freely. And now that the evil is gone, the streams will run pure again and vegetation will flourish. And Barbara is suddenly there. I don't know how she got there from where she was previously. And she's actually, it's really funny. 
She's playing um, games with one of the gun bugs. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, you hey, you little thingy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, it, and it's pointed right right at her, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, it, he, I wouldn't go anywhere near one of those things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the for, for someone who doesn't actually watch the episode or the story, and, I, and I'm not going to blame you, the equivalent, I would say, is it would it would be as if she was playing with a gun that a baby that was holding a gun. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, little baby. It's like, yeah, this baby's about to shoot you. <laughs> um, and the potato bug dudes, the Opteras, you know, they're really having trouble with being on the surface, and they're, you know, they're really disturbed and they're kind of bent over and and really upset. And the headmanoptera is telling them to be strong and deal with it. And then they say they're going to fly like her. And <laughs> these little potato bug guys, they try to flap their non-wings <laughs> and fly. And they fail pathetically. And she says, well, don't worry. Your children are going to be able to fly. But the whole thing is, I mentioned the dancing earlier. That's essentially what I'm talking about. Like, they're... You know, it's just really funny to have these these potato bug guys trying to fly. <laughs> and then one of the monopterists says to the doctor, if I had not lived till this time, I would have considered my life to be entirely wasted. And the doctor very practically responds, there's only one thing I want, my ring. <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of doesn't uh, pick up on the poetry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all in a day's work for the doctor. Yep. And now we get to the dancing part. The potato bug, you know, opera dudes are now jumping around excitedly and saying, light is good. And they're just like <laughs> dancing, like getting like little five-year-olds oh, yeah, in a play. Yeah. It's a, pretty humorous. Having a jolly time. Man. Yeah. And now that things are over, Ian is really annoyed about the doctor having destroyed his Coal Hill school tie. This is six episodes ago. Yeah. You know? So literally for people watching this, a month and a half ago, there was a few seconds where the doctor put Ian's tie into acid and it was destroyed. <laughs> it's just amusing yeah. to think of people remembering that. Which, which, which he did to save Ian's life. Yeah. Uh, by demonstrating that it was acid. And but, he had that uh, weird thing where Ian was wearing it as a belt, which is a little odd, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that too. But uh, I, I can see Ian's annoyance because, I mean, he hasn't been back to Earth in... Uh, God knows how many journeys, you know, and he probably doesn't have a whole lot of earth stuff left <laughs> on his person. So that has some sentimental value to it. Yep. So then the TARDIS disappears and one of the monopterists says their deed shall be sung in the temple of light <laughs> mm -hmm. and has a bunch more spe speechifying and then calls down that main invasion force and <laughs> bizarrely the monoptera the the you know the bees they all go into these dramatic dance poses <laughs> and well, it's the end of the episode <laughs> yeah i uh i would take issue with her use of the word bizarrely there because after six episodes that is pretty much standard operating yeah. procedure <laughs> <laughs> so oh god <laughs> So, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, 
I don't even know how, I mean, our usual things, we talk about the actors, but who can separate out which B was which and <laughs> which aunt was which. <laughs> you know? I will, uh, I will say there mm-hmm. were moments from the actors, uh, that I, I, I enjoyed. I thought mm-hmm. they, you know, uh, like there's the one where in the hog calling scene where the woman takes away, she lures away that last ant guy, uh, so he can go get reinforcements and she comes back. And she's still doing her little, uh, zombie. but then, uh, <laughs> then she kind of laughs a little bit, just, just like mm. amused. I, I don't know. There's just something charming about it, but little <laughs> things like that are all, or, or like the, uh, opter leader who, who sounds like a gung ho. Uh, what was the, what was the story with these floating aliens in space and all that? And, and, uh parody of a samurai you know i mean there's 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 a lot of individual things that are fun in these episodes but it's still it's uh you know it's it's sort of like things like treasures scattered through a wasteland (laughs) kind of like uh I don't know if you played the Mad Max video game but you know you drive around looking for water and gasoline and stuff it's kind of like that yeah, there might be a bit of a uh, Stockholm syndrome in there. <laughs> like, I'm going to find something to like in all this. Um, well, I'll come back to, you know, so our ultimate question always, is it worth watching for a modern audience? There is no way in hell I would sit down a loved one in front of this and say, this, this represents Doctor Who. I, you know, they would yeah. be traumatized. But, you know... Nonetheless, as I've said all along, I totally respect the ambition of the story. They clearly worked really hard on it. They clearly worked hard on the sets. You know, the Monoptera, the bee suits are actually really good and the and the makeup that went along with that. It just, you know, the end of the day just doesn't work. <laughs> That's yeah. my take. <laughs> it doesn't uh I think the suspension of disbelief is hard to come by and with this one, just because everything is so both out of the ordinary and not done with great sophistication. And it's also hurt a lot by being a six episode story, which is not uncommon. I mean, Mm -hmm. over and over, it's like the hairdryer comes down, this happens, this happens, you know, we go from (laughs) Ian to Barbara to the doctor, just over and over and over. If it had been four or even three episodes, then I would argue, actually, mm-hmm. maybe you could have done a good three-episode story with this. Yeah, you could have even yeah. done a good four-episode story yeah. with this, I would say. But um, six, yeah. six is a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so my, mm-hmm. oh, I, I was, I, I didn't know if we were getting to the no, part where it. I say, I declare my stance <laughs> on the. It worth worthiness of watching uh in this case uh, definitely not one that you would drag somebody down to the couch to uh watch with you i was thinking that maybe if you just watched the sixth episode by itself that would be enough to <laughs> give you the flavor but so that was why i watched the sixth episode again wow. this evening and it's really not i mean it's like if you're if you're super curious about Doctor Who and and you just want to um you know see what it's all about and it is I mean it is kind of fun just to to complain about it so I mean right. there's 
you could watch the sixth episode and there is, there's stuff in, in all the episodes that's fun to see, but I don't know if any of it is stuff that I'd really say, watch this when you could be doing something else. <laughs> so it's worth watching if you have absolutely nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a good summary. <laughs> <laughs> well, next up, and again, I've not said anything to you about it, and I'll be very curious to see what you think. We have the Space Museum. And then the, the, the guys, um, who had been hiding for years. Uh, oh, the sensorites. Sensorites. Thank you. <laughs> See, you're, you're truly becoming the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me redo this here. Well, related to that, I did a deep dive many years ago into sort of stories about sort of people who went through disasters of some sort and survived, you know, things like. If you remember, there was some sports team that was on a plane and the plane went down in these, you know, mm. obscure mountains and they mm -hmm. ended up like engaging in cannibalism and all this. Right. Well, the book was exploring in all these different cases, who are the people who live from these events? And the overall answer was the people who lived were the ones who took responsibility for themselves. Hmm. And it didn't really matter what they did. It just mattered that they took responsibility. So for example, in some of those plane crash situations, some people would say, you know what, let's just sit here next to the plane and wait for someone to find us. Mm -hmm. Those are the people who would die. Mm. And the people who would live were the ones who said, okay, we need to do something. Um, and you know, so it's kind of interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, um. I think it probably is a good general principle that, uh, you know, action is generally more productive than inaction. <laughs> anyway, that was a fun digression, but, uh, we, we, we have to move on because the story waits for <laughs> Do no Do we man. have to? <laughs> <laughs> you fool!